guess I, what I, I've really battled, Max can attest to this, um, battled to try and decide what to share tonight. I'm really passionate about this topic of um, creation and safeguarding creation. Um, and so I kind of wasn't sure where to hit it, but I um, consoled myself that luckily we're doing the five marks of mission over 10 weeks, which means that we can have another go at this. So there will be another sermon in a few weeks time um, around this topic. But yeah, striving to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the earth. Massive, massive thing. What I wanted to do um, to start off with, what I've decided is that I think it's really important for us to locate um, how we approach this mark of mission um, within the biggest story that God is writing. And I think the reason that that's really important is because this space can quickly um, lead to us feeling overwhelmed um, or full of despair or um, yeah, just a lot of big feelings can come with this space and actually relocating that within God's big story of hope is a really grounding and important thing for us to begin with as we enter into it um, so that we can um, endeavor and um, it uses the word strive, like strive to safeguard, like actually give our energy and our effort in a way um, that's full of hope and not full of um, dread and not full of, um, uh, I guess, yeah, I think just was, was reflecting on um, some of what Scotty shared last week around justice and how, and the things that really uh, matter to us and when um, they aren't going well, sometimes um, we can become frustrated and we can really want to find people to blame and we can want to find, um, um, fall into stories of good guys and bad guys. But when we locate this um, in the bigger story of God's story um, and the hope that we have in God's story, it helps us to stay steady and to act with love and not act with, um, um, yeah, kind of some of that icky stuff. So the way I want to talk about this, um, there's a website that beautifully kind of holds um, this whole big story. Um, and I'm going to read you some excerpts out of it with my own take. Um, but I'm just going to show you guys what the website is because um, I'm actually really about sharing um, our, doo -doo -doo. where is it? Oh my gosh, I should have closed some tabs. I have so many tabs open. And this is like the 0365 that I was talking about before. Um, this is a documentary I plan on watching sometime. This is a lady that used to be a lecturer of mine. But this is the thing I actually wanted to show you. So instituteforreadingthebible.org. A sacred saga, the sixth act drama of the Bible. So I'm going to be reading to you from some of this. But if you guys want to read the whole thing, um, this is a really awesome um, yeah, little, little resource to help understand the big story of scripture. Bring out my notes. Cool. So, scripture. The goal of Bible reading isn't um, to find quotes on a, on a particular one page and try and apply those to your life. Um, but the bigger goal of Bible reading is to understand that these are a varied um, accumulation of texts, sacred texts that have been written throughout time. There's different kinds of literature that's in there, um, but that all of them are tied together um, in a big 
flow and a big story um, and that we can read and understand and internalize that story so that we can live out of that story as well. So the, the two big overarching goals of scripture is to tell the story of God's plan for his world and then invite us into this. So the Bible is a saga, this long dramatic, dramatic history of how God works with humanity to achieve the thriving life he's always wanted for all his creatures. And a big focus of reading the scripture is reading how we fit into that story. So all the books of the Bible come together to narrate that story, past, present, and future. And they take us through these ups and downs um, and the movement of God's purposes. Um, these devastating setbacks and losses, these beautiful moments of God's saving grace coming through. Um, and the goal remains the same through it all, the redemption and the flourishing of God's entire creation is what he's longing for. And so reading the Bible um, requires us to kind of see how things are progressing and unfolding. And I think it's really helpful that they've summarized this through six different acts like a, a play with different acts. And the first act is that of creation. God creates and it's good. The second act is human rebellion, um, which results in brokenness in relationships with God, with nature, with ourselves and interpersonally. The third act is God um, choosing to work with a small group of people. First of all, Abraham, which then expands into the nation of Israel picking this group and teaching them and teaching them how to listen and to follow his instructions. The fourth act is the coming of the Messiah, is the coming of Jesus, God coming to meet us where we are, meeting us in our mess to show the fullness of God's nature to us and to give us a new way to live into and to expand the invitation from one that was just to a particular group of people to all people. God flings wide the doors and says, um, all are welcome, all are called, all are desired by me, all are beloved children of me. You are a family and I am your father. And then the fifth act is of um, this kind of revelation following Jesus of people trying to live out this being of the family of God together. Um, humans coming together um, with God as their um, heavenly father and working out life together and sharing in that. And that is the the early church. So that's Act 5. And what I think is helpful about this is we're still in this fifth act. We're in this fifth act where um, Jesus has come and shown us God's very nature. Um, and then the sixth act, we, we kind of know what's going to happen with that because that has been foretold. Um, and it's kind of happened, but it's also sort of yet to happen. So the sixth act is that of um, new creation, of when... Um, Jesus will return to join us once again, will appear um, as the world's righteous judge, as Scotty was saying last week, and will set all things right. At that point, evil will be destroyed for good and creation will be renewed. And so the, the world's bondage and the, um, the sorrow and the pain and the slavery and violence, the way that we encounter death and decay um, across creation, that'll be broken once and for all. So we promised that and we've seen the beginning of that now um, and we're living into where that story is going the glory of god will fill the entire cosmos as his temple the victory of the god of life will be complete god's people will be raised from the dead um, to fullness um, and they will re-engage with their first calling to be spirit-filled god-worshipping 
culture-making citizens of God's new heaven and new earth. And people from every tribe and language and nation will walk with God in God's light. Um, God's splendor and God's glory will be a light and there'll be this kind of fullness of the society um, coming together. God will come down and make his home with us completely um, in the kind of reawakened creation. And so this is what this is what we promised and foretold and what has begun with Jesus' um, death and resurrection. So there's some of that we, that we experience now and there's some of that that we don't experience now. And so the way people talk about that is we live in the now, but the not yet. We know we're like um, actors um, within a play. We're in the fifth act and we know how it ends, but we're getting to improvise and we're getting to journey towards that ending. And God gives us responsibility in being, being actors in this big story, in this play that we're a part of. And so I think that's really important to hold in mind as we think about um, this thing of striving to safeguard the integrity of creation, because um, without the hope of God's work and God's um, promise at the end of it, um, we can very quickly end up in futile thinking. And so it's important for us to hold on to that hope and hold on to that bigger story and bigger work that God's a part of. And um, I think I've, I was reading a book this week, um, which I just wanted to read a couple of quotes from um, the kind of introduction of it. The book um, is uh, like a little devotional of a guy called Jacques Yules, um, who's a French kind of, um, he's, what's he called, a French anarchist Christian. And he was a anthropologist, kind of sociologist, um, sort of Marxist Christian guy. Um, and there's this other guy that's um, kind of done the intro and the frame up about um, a bunch of his writings. And I even found the introduction just like so awesome. And so I want to read a couple of quotes to you from that. He says, faith is not escapism, but a strident engagement. Hope is not a utopian dream, but prayer and work that God's kingdom will continue to break in. Christ has made the radical difference in our world and God continues in history to engage with us his demands of discipleship and obedience. We resist the powers of this age because Christ has displayed their folly and invites us instead to live the lifestyle he advocated. And so I think that kind of helps show um, faith is not escapism, but strident engagement. There's a real impetus in this way of understanding our relationship with God, that we are active participants in God's story. That Christ has been the decisive um, kind of character in the story, um, but we get to participate. And um, what I want to turn to now as a way for us to think about this in a really practical way, um, bearing in mind this big story, is using the five R's. Um, which I'm actually going to expand to the six R's and which some of you might know is the three R's. So the classic three R's are reduce, recycle, reuse. Um, but the five R's include some other things. Um, let me get the screen share going again. Here we go. Um, here it is. So you guys see that? Um, so this is the five R's. Um, there's actually kind of like a bunch of um, different ways the R's get articulated. I'm going to mostly do these R's. I'm going to do six R's and I'm going to change some of them. And I'm going to talk about how we make them sort of Jesus-centric 
how we be Jesus people around the R's. Um, I just like this visual, to be honest. That's why I've got it, because most of them are like sort of similar. So um, some of you will have heard me have some of these rants before because I really, really love it. But um, that quote that I that I just shared about Christ displaying the folly of the powers, um, this is what I think we need to take hold of around this first R of refuse. Because all of us um, are in the world and in the world um, we have different patterns of consumption. God has made us with bodies that need to be nourished and that is good and that is um, lovely and that is pleasing. But there are powers and principalities that are at work to use that for evil and to use that for greed and to use that um, to manipulate us and all sorts of bad stuff. And so what I want to um, put out there is that um, advertisers don't have your best interest in mind, um, that there are a lot of people that are trying to make a dollar off us um, and are trying to get our attention and are trying to um, invite us into patterns of consumption which aren't loving to the, to the earth and aren't loving to other creatures. And all of us, all of us know this. Um, I can think of many times where I've been having a shitty day and I've had this urge to just go out and buy something and, and that be a thing to kind of make me feel better. I don't know if other people can relate to this, um, but sometimes there's this way that um, consumerism has kind of, I'm conscious that it's, um, it's kind of within me or it's like preying upon me um, to invite me to do things that I know actually won't make me feel better or won't be um, a source of actual life, but they kind of feel like it at the time. Um, and so what I want to invite us to think about in this space is that there are um, powers and principalities at work in the world and there are just ordinary human interests at work in the world that want to invite us into patterns of consumption which are not loving, uh, which are based upon slavery and violence, which are based upon, um, yeah, all sorts of evil, actually. Um, and we, we know this as a community, this is, this is stuff we know, but what I want to invite us to is thinking about this idea of refuse um, in this. And so my encouragement to you is um, some really practical ways to think about refusing is to um, limit your time on Instagram because um, advertising will just try and find you and will try and sell you stuff you don't need. Um, will be if you can walk not down Lampton Quay and instead walk down the, the waterfront. Um, like if you just need to avoid um, spaces of consumption and spaces where there'll be so many bids for your attention and so many things that are trying to say um, you're not good or worthy or lovely unless you buy this item. Um, if you need to just not walk past those spaces, just walk somewhere else or just look up at the sky instead of at the advertisers windows. Um, and I would also say that like when those moments of kind of um, uh, I don't know, just like insidious, um, sneaky things come along. You can just say like, get behind me, Satan, you know, just like refuse, refuse to buy in um, to those things. Um, I reckon this will be a really cool one to talk about in your groups. What does it look like to refuse, um, refuse consumption that's unnecessary in your life? The next one I want to encourage us in is actually tied, I'm going to tie these two together, reduce and reuse. So um, in Acts 2, we have this beautiful vision 
of the early church where they have everything in common and they're sharing with one another. And a cool opportunity we have as a community who want to practice generosity and want to practice depending on each other and trusting one another is that we can reduce what we personally need to own and we, by sharing things and by um, having things be kind of a little bit in that murky space of who actually owns this. Um, I know that happens quite a lot with clothing at the stables, um, that it's like, you know, actually whose jumper is this anymore? And I think that, um, yeah, I think that there's a beautiful something in that for us to practice as a community and to really take hold of that reducing and reusing um, the things we have um, in a, there's a, like, I think you guys might know about like the Amish and like Puritans and stuff. Like there's some people who really take this a really long way. Um, and obviously there's like, the need to meter these things out. But there is a way for us to, um, to go here around reducing and reusing the things that we have. Um, and so, yeah, some ways that can look like is when you have a need, um, when you have something to offer, um, like thinking like, oh, I've got this appliance or um, I've got this certain thing, just like actually be vocal about that and communicate about that. Um, and instead of thinking about needing to buy something Think about whether you can borrow something or if you've got something, think about how you can offer to loan that to people because all of us have things um, that we can share together. The next thing um, I want us to talk about is around, that's not on here, is around repairing. Um, and I think this is one that's really, really dear to my heart. Um, I think that there's a lot of um, like, yeah, the, one of the reasons this is really dear to my heart is because I have this kind of, revelation from God a number of years ago of um, us being like really broken bits of secondhand furniture and God being kind of like the patient antique dealer that's just like really committed to the restoration of the, the old furniture and like lovingly like there's like chinks out of the legs and like there's a tear in this bit but like lovingly and caringly wanting to restore and bring out the best and be committed to um, that bit of furniture and so for me um, there's something worshipful about repairing things and about um, using skills and caring for items and actually um, and also paying other people to repair stuff. I took like five sets of shoes to the repair man um, at the start of this year, which was like quite costly, but I was like, this is still cheaper than buying five new sets of shoes. And I want to honor your skills as someone who is committed to um, restoring life out of things and getting more life out of things. And so yeah, thinking about how we can um, be committed to the repair of things, be committed to the repair of ourselves, committed to the repair of one another, and committed to the repair of um, the objects that we're in possession of. And um, yeah, I think going through that kind of thinking is also helpful for us um, when we buy something, being like, am I going to commit to you, object? Um, and I, am I going to be committed to you um, to fix you when you're broken, just as you're going to be committed to me um, and keeping me warm? on this southerly day in Wellington or whatever it is. Um, so we've had refuse, say no. Um, we've had reduce and reuse, which is share and be generous. We've had repair, which is, um, yeah, be committed to what you take into your position and care for those things. Um, we then have recycle, which is um, pretty obvious to be honest. And actually I can't really connect that to anything Jesus centric, um, but, <laughs> um, I feel like the city council is doing a good enough job of promoting that, so I'll just leave them to that. 
Um, <laughs> and then the, the last one that I want to um, bring, which is not on here, is rot. Um, and this is this is a rot. Um, Rob's like, what is he? What do you think, rot? Um, so this is like food waste. Get it composted. This is buying things that are biodegradable and thinking about the end of life of things right at the start when you get them. And um, something that I think is helpful for us to think about as a take home from this is um, in environmental care, in my mind, there's two things. There's minimizing harm or like um, avoiding harm, and then there's creating good. And the thing about composting is it does both of those things, which is so exciting. So you have the minimizing the harm that it's not going to the landfill and um, creating leachate in the landfill and also creating um, methane, which is a greenhouse gas. And you have it proactively going back into the environment so that its nutrients can be used to like improve the soil and then create new life. So compost avoids harm and creates good, which is awesome and just so good. Um, so yeah, rot is the last one. Um, so we're coming into land. This is nearly the end of my tirade, but I wanted to just share with you guys one other thing, um, which is a yarn that I've probably spun people individually quite a bit, but it's just a helpful thing for us as we think about how we have these kind of conversations around justice and around environmental things that we care about. So um, I went back to university a couple of years ago and I did an environmental studies um, like postgraduate qualification. And in one of those papers, we were doing some stuff around environmental psychology, which I really loved. And the things that stood out to me most from that were one, just having more information about something doesn't actually lead to more action. Um, and I think we know this, all of us, that actually sometimes you get information overload and then you just have feeling paralyzed. The next thing was off the back of that is that how you receive information, how it's communicated to you, can either um, cause you to form a worldview-based resistance to that information. So if someone um, informs you of something in a certain way, um, if that clashes with your values, if that clashes with um, some things that you care about, you're going to either want to be defensive and deflect that, or you're going to want to dig into the opposing position. So actually how things get talked about really is, um, is really important around important issues. And what helps us um, to get on board with things is when people talk about things in a way that aligns with the values we have. Um, and what helps us to get on board with things is when we have a group of people that we can collectively do things together with. So we have this beautiful community uh, where we're together and we're able to align in our values and we're able to take ground in things that we care about. I'm gonna stop screen sharing so I can see all your faces. That's much nicer. Um, but I just wanted to tell a little story um, for us to think about as we, as we finish tonight around how things get politicized to then help us think about how we can be people that depoliticize things and try and create bridges um, between communities around important issues. Because I think what we're seeing more and more is factioning and um, people falling into camps around issues, and that's actually not productive. So I wanna tell this story, which is about when um, research came out about climate change early on, 
um, it was kind of based around pretty simple science. And at the time in the UK, um, Margaret Thatcher was the prime minister over there. And so her government was in power and the, the science around climate change came out. And Margaret Thatcher had a background in science stuff and chemistry. And so she was like, oh, this is simple science. Obviously, um, this is like explaining some phenomenon that's going on in the world. And the way she communicated and her, her conservative party communicated the importance of responding to climate change at the time was um, around the conservative party not being afraid um, to work hard. Um, the Conservative Party being fiscally and responsible and responsible to um, issues that come up in the world. And also their party um, really like loving the, um, the British countryside and wanting to protect and care for that. Um, so they were going to be responsive to climate change. Now, what's interesting is that at the same time over in America, um, Reagan was in power and the way the climate dialogue came about over there was that the um, the more left-wing side of things really took hold of the climate debate and talked about how people needed to radically change their lifestyle in order to um, respond to this issue. And what we've seen in the States is that um, like right-wing parties have a lot of resistance to um, taking steps forward around climate change. And so it's become this divisive left and right thing and um i think that's just a really interesting little story because in new zealand it's still more of a kind of left-wing thing to be advocating for um climate justice and even us talking about climate justice and it being framed around think about other people's um welfare think about um I don't know, lots of different ways that's been explained, but it's talked about in a lot more of um, values and language that's a little bit more um, left-wing language. Um, and luckily we don't have big polarization here, but I think that story kind of shows that the way things get storied and the way things people, the way people connect um, different issues to their values, um, like it can happen in a lot of different ways. And so the challenge, I don't know if this is really making sense. If it's not, it's okay. Just reach out to me and we can chat about it. Um, thanks, Brian, for the thumbs up. But the challenge I want to give us is that find something you care about environmentally. Locate that within yourself. And this week, talk to somebody who might, it might be a bit difficult about that, but do so first by listening and listening for what they value and thinking about what is it that this person cares about? When I used to go out on earthwork sites and talk to really buff earthwork contractors about um, why they should care about sediment not going into the stream, I would try and think about what do these guys care about? And often what they cared about was fishing. And so I would talk about um, how their actions all the way upstream connect to the creatures that they might catch on a summer holiday when they're spending time with their family and having that really enjoyable time that they look forward to all year and try and make the connection for them around why their actions over here matter to this thing over here and so i think um that can be a really loving way of helping to bridge things for people um instead of saying you shouldn't do this um which is kind of blamey or instead of um just ending up Reaching choir um, by talking to people that are like-minded. If we seek to actually um, 
advance the cause of things of justice that we really care about. It's important for us to begin with listening, to care about and to help people to recognize what they care about and to use creative thinking to connect that issue to them. And that um, will help us to um, stop things from being so polarized. So um, as you go into your groups and as we kind of wrap up for tonight, I would love for you guys to think specifically about um, what is something you need to refuse or you're wanting to try and refuse at the moment and how to like get help um, from each other around that. Like, you know, where's a kind of, um, what's that look like in your life? Um, and also sharing what's um, an environmental issue um, that you really care about. It might be a place that you really love. It might be a creature you really love. It might be um, things around climate justice and um, how that affects people um, in the Pacific. It might be around eroding shorelines. It, it, it might be a lot of different things, but what's something you are uniquely passionate about? And then who is someone that you could connect with about that? Or what would it look like to connect with people that are different from you about that? So that is um, my cordial for the evening.